the house of the Lord this morning. It is good to get good news regarding our pastor. Amen. Whew. I don't know how he does it. This is hard work, you know. I mean, two services, man, oh man, that's all right. Get things all set up here. My job this morning is to take a 3,200-year-old story that occurred during the first Iron Age and help us apply it to our lives and where we live today. Is it doable? Can it be done in, in 30 minutes or less? I will be covering the entire or entire book of Ruth, which is only four chapters, and I'm just going to pick highlights of that. But if you've got your Bibles this morning and you want to follow along, feel free to turn to the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth is, is before Judges, and, and the world was a different place back then. And if we could realize the words of the song that Natalie just sang, and we come to the understanding that we are a child of God our lives would be much more simple. But somehow we get confused in this walk and we get confused in this world in which we live in and we forget the fact that God has redeemed us and he has called us and he has loved us and his hand guides us and directs us. And even though it leads us at times down pathways we would not have chosen on our own. And it leads us through valleys that we don't desire to have to walk through. He is guiding us and he's leading us. And why? Because he has a purpose for each and every one of us. Let's begin in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days, now, what they put up on the screen may be different from what I've got. I, I did my, my presentation, my lesson in, in the uh, NIV, and I think that they don't have that, so they're using the New King James Version. So if there's a discrepancy, just listen to what I say. <laughs> All right, Ruth 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when judges ruled... There was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Emelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the son, names of his two sons were Mahalon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab to live there. The first thing I want to talk about is a famine. What, what is a famine? Typically, we could define that as an agricultural event, couldn't we? I mean, it's when the crops are not producing. But you see, if, if we know our Bible, and we know it pretty well, we know that in Deuteronomy 28 and in Leviticus 26, God lays out a covenant with Israel. And he says, as long as you walk circumspectfully, as long as you honor me as, my, as your God, as long as you worship no other gods before me, your land will prosper and your crops will bring forth in abundance. So time after time throughout the Old Testament, we see when famine came upon the nation of Israel, famine or pestilence or invasions of enemies, 
It was so often an indicator of their spiritual condition. It was a way of God saying, you know what? You need to pay attention to your walk. It's like when you drive your car and the check engine light comes on, as my wife and I experienced as we were held for ransom because we tried to take a few days off this week and our car broke down and we had to stay in the hotel longer and I apologize for missing Wednesday night Bible study, but fortunately we were able to pay the ransom and escape with our car and we're back here today. So when the check engine light comes on, it's telling you something's wrong. So famine, so often the relationship that God had with the nation of Israel was to remind them they were not walking the walk they should have before him. They were not living the life that they should have. It was a call often to repentance. The other thing I want to talk about in this first little bit of scripture is sojourning or traveling to a different land. I caution you, be careful where you travel. Be careful where you go. Be careful how long you stay there. Be careful about what you bring back with you. I've had friends and co-workers who have traveled to find jobs and, and their jobs have called them to different places throughout the country. And I know of one person who has a daughter that got married to a guy in Seattle and another daughter got married to a guy in New York City. And so where do they live? Someplace around Southern Illinois so they can fly either either place. What am I saying? I'm saying that wherever we go, we put down roots. Even though we're not intending to put down roots, that is the nature of our life. It's the nature of who we are. It's a nature of families. Be careful where you go. Be careful how long you stay. Sharon and I went on a vacation a few years ago, and we were, were whitewater rafting with our kids down the Arkansas River going through the Royal Gorge area, and my son Alex decided that he was going, that was his life. He was now going to become of river guide. And my wife was very angry because she was thinking that we weren't going to survive the trip anyway. And, you know, look what you have done. You've brought our son out here and you've exposed him to this and you've ruined him. I say that in jest. But they're traveling to Moab. They're going to a place that doesn't worship the same God. They're going to dwell among other people. And sometimes when we go to dwell, we stay there a little longer than what we anticipate. And our hesitation becomes residing. And we live there. And we adopt a portion of that culture. And we adopt a portion of those people. And they influence who we are. Be careful where you travel. Elebek in Hebrew means my God is king. And it may have been his name, but it sure didn't seem to witness to his actions. Moab, where they were going, had an on-again, off-again adversarial relationship with Israel. There were times that Moabites came in and raided cities within the nation of Israel and killed everyone, every man, every woman, every child. 
within those cities. The hostilities had died down, but this is where Imelech is taking his family to sojourn, to travel through, to try to find a way out of the famine that was, was plaguing Judah at this particular point in time. So let's go down to verse three. Now, Imelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one of them named Orphrah, and the other Ruth. And they had lived there about, after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Three graves in Moab. In this particular time, in this particular culture, this was more than just devastating. I mean, it would be hard to bury your husband and your two sons, but in this culture, that meant that there was no one to inherit, no one to continue the, the legacy, no one to continue the bloodline, that they were now cut off. So let's continue on. Verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So while she's in Moab, living the life of a widow, she hears that back home, Back home in Bethlehem, God is making provision for his people there. And so she desires to go back to Bethlehem. And she's headed out, and she's headed down the pathway. It's not real, real far. It, 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 it's just on the other side of the Dead Sea. If, if we looked at a map, we would see Bethlehem on the west side, and Moab would be on the east side. So she's traveling back with her two daughters-in-law. And sometimes we look at ourselves and our situation and where we are, and we don't like what we see. And so she's examining herself, and she sees herself as an old woman, widowed, not much to contribute who feels in her heart that the hand of God has gone out against her, that God doesn't love her anymore, and that she's being punished for something, or that she's suffering in ways that she just can't imagine. And you know what? If we would be honest this morning, there are some of you who have walked through a very similar valley in your life where you felt that God's hand had been taken away from you, that you were away from his blessing, that you were away from his love. And the risk that we run into so often when we feel that way is that we want to isolate. We want to pull ourselves away from each other. We don't want to be around brothers and sisters in Christ who are sharing the love and singing the joy because in our spirit we are broken our heart is orphaned we feel wounded Naomi was no different 
Verse 13, now, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Oh, my. In Hebrew, the name Naomi means pleasant. But she can't feel that in her heart. She sees herself as a hindrance to her daughter-in-laws. She's collapsing into the depths of despair. She's shutting down emotionally. She's isolating. She's closing off relationships. And worst of all, she's giving up spiritually. This is a dangerous place for any of us to be. Verse 15, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her God. She, she told the girls they should just go back home. And Ophrah says, okay, I'm on my way. But Ruth didn't go. And Ruth's next words are words that get repeated at weddings for over 3,000 years. Pretty profound thinking, is it not? So Naomi says, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. What's happening here? Ruth sees the pain that Naomi carries in her heart. She sees the desire of Naomi to self-isolate. She sees that, that desire in Naomi's heart to basically pull away from those who love her and care for her, but she's not gonna let it happen. Somehow, even in Moab, even in the middle of this dysfunctional family, even in the situation that they found them in, Ruth got a great enough glimpse of God to come to the realization that he's true and that he's just and that he's merciful and that he loves even the very lowest one of us. She had a, a, in her heart that she was going to cast herself in line with Naomi and basically cast her life on the mercies of a caring and loving God. Oh, what an act of faith. Verse 19, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Mara in Hebrew means bitter. Have you ever been bitter? Have you ever felt bitter rising up within you? 
hear Naomi, when they call her name, it sounds as a mockery to her because of the state, because of the condition, because of the burden she carries. And she burst forth with bitterness. Oh, I can relate. I've been there. And I think some of you know exactly what I mean. How do we protect our heart? How do we shield our heart? How do we take something so sensitive and protect it from being pierced and protect it from being broken? C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, writes these words. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping it intact, you must not give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Be careful what you do with your heart. Verse chapter two, we come up to chapter two and things are beginning to change. Sometimes it seems so dark. Sometimes it seems so despairing. But you know what? God has not forgotten us. He has not left us alone. He has not abandoned us. God's hand is at work in our lives every day. There are subtleties, nuances, coincidences that occur that indicate that he's still on the throne, that he is still in charge, and that he still loves us. So in this particular case, we begin in chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Imelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Imelech. Just then, Boaz arised from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Isn't there a lot of coincidences? Today's the day she decides she's going to go glean. And Naomi says, go ahead and go. And so she just heads down the road and she happens to find a place to where she can go glean. And it just happens to be the field that's owned by Boaz. And Boaz just happens to be the kinsman redeemer. And Boaz just happens to be coming from Bethlehem this particular day. And this is the particular field that he stops at. And Boaz just happens to notice that out there, gleaning behind the harvesters, is the new girl. And Boaz, as we'll find out here in the next verse, happens to have heard a little bit about the new girl and how marvelous she is. Coincidences. 
There are coincidences. Is that the plural? Is that the right usage of, of the word? More than one coincidence? Could it be coincidence? I, I, I don't know. Coincidences. There are coincidences that occur within our life on a daily basis that indicate, that show to us, that reveal to us if we are astute, if we are paying attention, if we are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit that shows us that God is in motion in our lives. Now it's happening here with Ruth. It's happening here with Naomi. They don't recognize it yet. But it's put in here in the order which it is so that we understand so often God moves in our lives in the most subtle of ways. Let's go on. Verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink of water from the jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about you and what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people who didn't, you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. What's happening here? The introduction has occurred. He's taken notice of her. She's taken notice of him. Now, many people say that the book of Ruth is about Ruth. And I would have to argue with you that, yes, Ruth is one of the people in the, in the story, in the book, but a large portion of it's Naomi. And it begins with Naomi, and it ends with Naomi. And so that's the focus of my study today. So what happens? Ruth gets a large amount of grain from gleaning in the field of Boaz. It's a very productive day. And she takes this back to the home of her mother-in-law, and her mother-in-law notices someone has been kind to my daughter-in-law. <clears throat> Ruth, verse 19, chapter 2, 19. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. 
Now, in under, order to understand the significance of the garden, or guardian redeemer, we need to understand the custom of Leverite marriages. This was an agrarian, patriarchal, Near Eastern culture. What does that mean? That means that in order to own property, you had to be a male. And that the distribution of property or the inheritance of the property went to the firstborn male. And why was that? Because they didn't want to fragment the property so much that, that everybody had such a small piece it was of, of no real value. And the property was a property of significance because this was part of the land that had been promised to Abram. That's significant. That is important. But if you were a person as Naomi and you had lost your husband and you had lost your two sons, the two heirs, then you no longer had continual claim in the ownership of this property. But under Leverite marriage, the brother of the deceased man could then marry his wife, the deceased man's wife, father a child, an offspring. If that offspring were male, then the lineage of that family was continued on through that offspring. So Naomi now begins to see what she's hoping in her heart is the plan of God. Have you ever had a glimpse into God's plan? Have you ever just had a glimpse of what you think God is wanting to do? Naomi finds herself in, in this position. Let's go on to verse uh, 21, chapter 2, verse 21. Then Ruth, the Moabite, said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they had finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It would be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived there with her mother-in-law. Harvest time, harvesting by hand in this region takes two to three months. So we're going to assume here that from this day to where we start chapter three, two months, time lapses. Something's not moving as fast as Naomi wants. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to be patient? Have you ever had to stand in line at Rule King? <laughs> and then only for them to open up a, another line or cash register and somebody way in the back of the line swings around you and goes out there and checks out ahead of you. It's hard to be patient. It's hard for Sharon to drive through Kentucky when the light turns green and everybody sits there waiting to make sure that it's going to stay green before they decide to go, she's already on the gas and she's wanting to go. It's hard to be patient. And here is Naomi, whose orphaned heart, 
whose broken heart can hardly stand to wait any longer. She wants God to intervene and she wants God to move. And so she decides, you know what? I gotta take this into my own hands. I gotta do this my own way. I remember when I was a kid and I wanted to give my mom a flower that we had this rose bush out in front of the house and I went out to pick her a flower and I looked and I looked and I couldn't find one bloomed out. So I found one that had just budded. And I thought, this will work. I can open it up. And so petal by petal, I tried to unfold the, the rose that was in the bud. And you know what I got? A bunch of bruised petals on the ground. We have to wait on God's perfect time. It is so hard for us. It is so difficult for us to remain faithful, to remain trusting in a God whenever we are in the position of having to wait. So here we have Naomi, and she's going to intervene, and she's going to give God a little nudge. She's going to give Boaz a little boost here. And so she starts offering advice to Ruth, chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Well, yeah, that's part of it. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing on the barley, or winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. What is she saying? What is she telling her to do? Wash, put on perfume, wear your finest, get dressed like it's your wedding day. Go down. Uncover the feet of Boaz. Lie at his feet while he is asleep. And he will tell you what to do. She's putting it all out there. This is a risky move. This is a do or die maneuver. She is placing Ruth in a position to basically force the hand of Boaz. Let's go to verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9. Boaz awakes in the night, and he finds this woman who was at his feet, who wasn't there when he went to sleep. So he wakes up, I'm assuming startled, and he says, Who are you, he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character, although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family. There is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. 
But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. What just happened? He woke up. He discovered Ruth sleeping at his feet. He asked her who she is. She says, I'm Ruth. And in today's vernacular, she said, marry me. Give me a child. What a strong, bold position for her to be in. Cover me with your garment. Take me into your warmth, your circle. You are my guardian redeemer. What's that mean? You are the one who can father a child with me so that the name of my husband should continue, the lineage of my husband should continue. How hard is it to let people see your heart? How hard is that? Years ago, when our oldest son got married, my younger son was the best man. And so he wrote a little speech. And when he went to deliver it, he got so emotional that he started crying. His heart began to break. And he was so upset and so embarrassed that people would see him in this state. And I told him, son, They've just got a glimpse of your heart. They've just seen what you're feeling inside. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. But when people see, and they see within us, and they see what our true desire really is, and they see the deepest yearnings of our heart, it is not a comfortable position for any of us to be in. And here is Ruth who lays it all out on the line, who says, this is exactly what I'm here for. I am here to become your wife so that you can father an heir. Oh, Don't be afraid to let others see inside your heart. So with her heart exposed, he has to tell her there's another man who has the first right of refusal. I don't know what he's going to choose. Will he want to select you or will he pass? If he passes, then I will do all that you ask. But we've got to go to him first. So he gives Ruth several measures of barley, and he sends her back to her home. And so Ruth's coming home. Naomi's waiting to hear the good news about the pending uh, wedding. She sees all the barley that Ruth carries in. And then we get to verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Naomi tried to nudge it forward. 
She tried to make it move. She tried to make it go. Now it's come to a point that it's no longer in the hands of of Naomi. It's no longer in the hands of Ruth. But let me tell you something, folks. When it's not in our control, when it's not in in our ability to, to, to determine, it's still in the hands of a loving God. Hallelujah. Okay, chapter four, this is where it gets good. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. I should be winking at you, coincidence, huh? Coincidence, it's just the right gate at the right time, at the right place. Boaz said, come here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and he sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our relative Imelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Oh, my. Oh, my. Boaz is invested into this. Ruth is invested into this. Naomi is yearning for this. And this man says, I'll do it. Then the other shoe drops. You see, the way Boaz presented this was just as a simple land transaction. She has got some property for sale. You have the first right of refusal. If you would like to buy it, go ahead and buy it. He didn't understand or hadn't been told as of yet that there was a Moabite woman named Ruth who, if she came along with the property, let's read the next verse. Chapter 4, verse 5, Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because it might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Why? Because the act of a guardian redeemer is an act of kindness and mercy and profound generosity. What it meant was that he would marry this woman, that he would provide for this child, he would provide for this woman, he would take care of this ground, he would build this up, but it would never be added into his own estate. It would always be the property and be passed along to the line of the child that was born from that union. He couldn't do it. It's too pricey. The price is too high. I can't do that, which then clears the way for Boaz. We get to verse 9. 
Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Imelech, Kilian, and Malion. And I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malion's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. What's he saying? I will be the kinsman redeemer. I will pay the price. I will step in and do the duty. I will be what I am been called to be. Verse 13 says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Here he is, it's a boy. He changes things. Just the, his mere presence changes things. Oh my. Verse 14, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. What happens here? Who was the guardian redeemer? Who have we been talking about all this time? Who was the guy? Boaz. But now the role has shifted. Now it's not Boaz. It's the baby. It's the child which sits in Naomi's lap. Oh my. Down to verse 16. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. Naomi has a son? Didn't Ruth give birth to the son? <sighs> Provision is made for Naomi through the birth of this child. Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. A thousand years passes, and it's the lineage from which our Lord and Savior, Jesus, was born. This boy became the redeemer for his grandmother and for his mother and his offsprings, offspring, offspring, become the redeemer for you and for I. Let me tell you something. Why do I tell the story? I tell the story because we walk through valleys and we go through hard places and we go through difficult times and we begin to wonder, God, has your hand been taken from me? Have you withdrawn your blessing from me? Have you taken away your goodness? Can I not find kindness? Can I not find mercy? Can I not find love? Let me tell you, most assuredly, with all confidence, with great boldness, I proclaim to you on this day that he loves you, that he has died for you, that he has redeemed you from the fall of man, that he has given to you eternal life, that he has prepared for you a home in glory. Hallelujah. 
Oh, can we apply it to our hearts? Can we see how a story that was birthed over 3,000 years ago can still minister to us, his children today? I hope you can. I hope you see. I hope the Spirit speaks to you the way he has spoken to my heart. Oh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, let us never forget your love, your mercy, your kindness. God, when we begin to doubt whether we're smart enough, strong enough, have stuff enough to continue in this path, let us remember, Father, that you are leading us, that you are guiding us, that you are upholding us. Oh, Father, that you would give good gifts to your children. Oh, Jesus, let us never forget your love. Let us never forget, Lord, how merciful you are and that your mercies are new every morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Is there anyone who needs prayer this morning? So feel free to come up here. If we pray for you, I'm just going to remind you that you are loved and you have been redeemed by a blood sacrifice from a perfect lamb. Hallelujah. Let's say goodbye. Go in peace. Come back next week. It's bad.